0: Welcome to Tigers Tonight, a podcast dedicated to University of Memphis Tiger football. Here's your host, John Maddox.
1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the large program Tigers Tonight. I'm your host, John Maddox. And I'm joined, as always, by the best co-co-host in all the land, and we will start from the palatial Marley Manor in beautiful Hernando, Mississippi, with Larry Marley. And Larry, how are you this uh this aftermath of the UTSA game. <laughs> well, um, I know
2: a lot of you saw my Twitter post when I just hated everyone and everything, and um, I truly was miserable after after the loss. And um, and, and we're going to talk about this, but I, I'm much better now. And and so one of the reasons why we don't do a show the day after a game is games like Saturday because. It literally would have been um, a Rob Zombie uh, uh, murder mystery show. It was doom and gloom. And so we're a lot better now. I've had a lot of time to reflect. And um, I will say this in brief. uh, One of the things that made me feel better was I had us three and one coming out of uh, September to start the season. And we're three and one coming out of September. Um, We
1: shouldn't be, but we are. And that's fine. As a former basketball coach around here, I like to say it is what it is. And Brian, how is it up in the Great Northeast this evening, sir?
3: Oh, nice and chilly. Windows are open. Trees are starting to turn, and yeah, it's real nice up here.
1: All right, so let's uh, let's let's relive the horror show that is the second, third, and fourth quarters of the game on Saturday. It started great. Memphis recovered a uh, fumble by. UTSA by Frank Harris, as the snap went way over his head. Uh, they had gotten a penalty. It kind of pushed them back, and then they got the bad snap. Harris tried to fall on it for a safety, but it got away from him, and Mordelius Stuckworth recovered. And just like the Mississippi State game, the first drive of the game, the Memphis defense comes out and scores. It's 7-0. Then Memphis keeps it rolling at the 9:23 23 mark. Uh, Rodriguez-Clark, 7-yard touchdown run to cap an 8 play, 62-yard drive, and it's 14-0. And then at the 622 mark, Seth Hennigan did the smartest thing a freshman could do. And that's fine. Number four found Calvin Austin to cap a five play, 81 yard drive with a 60 yard touchdown pass. And it's 21 nothing. And guys, Larry, at this point, at the end of the first quarter, you're up 21 zero and life is good.
2: Well, I t- texted you guys. I mean, we actually scored all three of our touchdowns before the six minute mark of the first quarter. And so, you're thinking, okay, we've come out and, and – and and by the way, I think the team felt this too. You're thinking, okay, we have got this team on the ropes um, and Memphis will exert it, its advantages uh, uh, down the stretch and, 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 and put this game away in relatively quick fashion. I mean, I, I'm honestly sitting there thinking, well – um, you know, this game may be over by the half. I mean, really, I'm thinking this. Um, Now, obviously, that's very naive uh, on our part. But um, we're, you know, I'm legitimately thinking that Memphis – and legitimately, guys, we're all saying Memphis is in complete control of this game in every phase. And things begin to change, obviously, very quickly.
1: As we move into the second quarter, Brian, did you have uh, something to add there?
3: No, I I was very, very shocked on how it flips from the first quarter to the second quarter. First quarter, you know, UTSA had zero total yards. Memphis had 177. Second quarter, as you were about about to talk about, Memphis had 18 total yards and UTSA had 160. Complete flip. And I did not see that coming.
1: And it's not like you can point to a singular play, you know, because sometimes you can go, oh like we talk, we, we'll we talk about with the fumble in the fourth quarter with Seth Hennigan, like you can go, oh, okay, well, this – because I, I, I tried to also remind people on Twitter, every, everybody in social media and in fandom likes to say, oh, we lost because of that play. If you lose a game, you lose it because of a sequence of plays, you know, three or four plays in a row. Like, UTSA nearly lost this game in the first six minutes because they fumbled twice. They luckily get on it the second time. They got the snap that goes over the head, and it's just like everything that could go wrong did, and then in the second quarter, they got their act together. Sincere McCormick runs for a 12-yard touchdown pass at the 954 mark on a 12-play, 87-yard drive, which is what UTSA had to do to win this game. They follow that up at the 525 mark with an 11-play, 66-yard drive that takes 319 off the clock. Or I'm sorry, that was in the second half. So they basically have the ball for most of the second quarter. I think Memphis ran like 12 plays, and they ran 23 or something. It was was because at the end of the first quarter, Memphis was up in time of possession, and we're all thinking, well, that hasn't happened before. But you just saw a UTSA team that, again, they just kind of chugged away and, and didn't get outside of themselves. But, Brian, we go into half. It's a twenty-one-seven ball game, but you're starting to feel nervous because you're watching the game unfold uh, in live and living color.
3: Yeah, that, like I said, that second quarter, uh, the series of plays. Here's the the drives in the in the second quarter, three and out, three and out, three and out, and then you had the you know the field goal attempt that was was uh, missed. I mean, 18 yards. I mean, it, to me, this this is where, in my opinion, this is where Memphis really lost the game, lost the momentum and lost the game, was this second quarter. When you take a look at the play calling, it, to me, it was still not necessarily basic, but someone's got to tell Seth Hennigan or Coach Johns, you know, whoever it is, you have to look for other receivers or look for other folks other than you know calvin austin or or sean dykes in this particular game i would have looked for dykes more because he was thrown to six times he caught six balls for 167 yards i mean he he averaged over 27 yards per catch feed him the ball i mean calvin austin you you threw it to him 12 times i mean there's got to be more people than that and i know there was a I don't know, uh, it was John, was it Ivory or uh, I can't remember the other receiver who who actually, you know, had a decent catch, but it was called back, I I think it was Dave Rogers. Dave Rogers, yes. So, you know, at times he did look. So I don't know if they're allowing him to look at more than one or two receivers Um, because it seems like when the play's called, he's not, it doesn't seem to me anyway, I've never played quarterback. So, I mean, Larry Maybill, I mean, since he played, defense no no it doesn't seem like he's not going through his his receivers is you know just go through i don't know i mean where where are your check downs
2: well the the concern here is that the offense is and and you're you're mentioning this brian the concern here is that the offense is is really centered around three people brandon thomas um sean dykes and calvin austin and and, and what, you, what you look at as a defense, you don't look at who who catches the ball. You look at targets. So if, if you're going to evaluate an offense, what you're going to go in is you're going to look at, all right, where is the quarterback throwing the football? All right, so Calvin Austin is getting 20% of the targets. Sean Dykes is getting 15% or 18% of the targets. So those guys are representing over 50%. And it may be higher than that, guys. I don't know. I haven't looked at it. But let's just say that that it's 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 over fifty percent of the targets are going to those guys. You're going to bracket those guys, and that's what what we began to see in the second half is is on on passing plays. You were getting a straight up double team on Calvin, straight up double team on Calvin, and then Sean's bracketed, which basically means you got a guy on each side and then safety over the top. The one long pass that he caught, Sean Dykes caught in the second half. Was on a slant route and and the bracket guy fell down, I mean straight up fell down, um, and so what you're going to see going forward and this is a concern, Hennigan has got to look off, of got to look the safeties off, of of those guys and come back to Rogers. Now the one long pass that got called back. It was a beautiful, beautiful post route, and he did exactly that. He looked at Calvin on the on the corner, and then came back to Rogers in the middle of the field. Um, I didn't see the hold he may have held. I don't know,
1: but yeah, but it was, it was a, great a good pass. call. Yeah, it was a pretty good call. <laughs> so Memphis kicks off to to UTSA to start the half. Memphis stops them. They go three. They go. I think they had five, six plays on that drop. Seven plays, thirty-one yards. Memphis forces a punt. Memphis gets the ball back at the 11 20 mark. On first and 10 from our own nine, we hit Sean Dykes for 53 yards out to the UTSA 38 yard line. We then go one yard, four yards, loss a yard. We tried to run it right up the gut three straight times, and Joe Doyle comes out and misses the 52 yard field goal. If you want to talk about the sequence of plays where I knew we were in trouble, it was that sequence. We threw the ball down the field to get down there, and then we just flat-out refused to try to throw the ball again on that drive. We thought, well, we'll just muscle it, you know. At some point, you have to realize you're playing the, the number 15 rush defense in the country.
2: Well, they, they just really thought, and this is the only thing I can come up with, and I, I, I would love to have asked Coach Johns this question. In that sequence, are you thinking, all right, we are in control, we're going to run the ball and, and milk clock? In the third quarter, like early in the third quarter, it's not like this is our first drive in the third quarter. And, I mean, what's your, your objective there? You're up 21-7. to seven, You got the ball. All you really need to do is, is 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 keep the ball. You just threw the ball down the field, um, and, and they're stacking the box. And you've got to be able to see that. Like, I can see it. Defensively, they're stacking the box. To me, John – he, it, this is this is gets where coaches get extremely stubborn. They're like, "We're gonna do this. We don't care what they do." Well, they didn't like that, and so you end up now now and, and you kick, you, you miss the field goal. Well, now the momentum swings back. Right? You had a little momentum. You had the momentum in the second half, and if you get that touchdown, now it's twenty eight to seven. Well, now they've got to change how they play offense. Because it's twenty-eight to seven, and it's getting late in the third quarter, right? So yep. that that to me, that, that three play sequence pivoted the whole game, because that changed. And I remember sitting sitting there telling telling my wife, I was like, that changed everything, because now you got now you've got to hold them, and you really hadn't done that much.
1: Yep, because UTSA takes the ball, they take over there, eleven plays, sixty-six yards and I want to talk about a penalty that was called 11 uh, play 66 yards that was aided by a Zay, Zay Cohen's clipping penalty. A lot of people don't know, but you can be called for clipping on defense. A clipping penalty is just going low, That's and especially from behind. That's when you tend to get it called. Well, Xavier or, or Zay was low and late, and that's going to get called every time. Now, there was another personal foul called two plays later on Mo White that was absolutely ridiculous. It, I didn't realize we were to Duke basketball game. Um, it was it was a horrendous flop by the offensive lineman for UTSA and that aided their drive and gave them actually first and eight. And now Larry, to your point, with 520 left in the third quarter, now it's a 21-14 ball game. So you've had, Brian, you've had a 14-point momentum swing just in the last three minutes.
3: Yeah, and, and it's easy for someone to take a look at this and say, well, you know, Memphis didn't lose it in the second quarter. They actually lost it in the fourth quarter because what happens uh, the next two drives for Memphis, the fumble and fumble. But to me, you really lost it in that second quarter because you, I mean, you 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 had your foot on their throat and you, you, just, you just didn't do anything. You... you you took your foot off and that gave them them life. So that's why I say they lost it in the second quarter, but right, they shot Memphis shot themselves in the foot in the in the fourth quarter so many times.
1: But yeah, the, well, but, top, but that
2: uh, but that was pressure. Okay, that's just pressure. Okay? I mean, you could see the pressure building, you know, at, to quote Southern Miss, our booty holes got tight. And look, you could see that in the crowd, you could see it in the on the sidelines, all of that. Okay? That that happens. So you're gonna have that was because, of, but see that didn't have to be that way. Here's the reality: everybody on the team, including the coaches, let up. Absolutely, you could see it in their faces. You could see it. I mean, they 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 pull back. And and here's the thing: if you're playing a bad team, you can get away with that because you look, they were better talent wise and they knew it they were you're on the field if you're on the field and you know you're a better team you have better
3: players
2: but what ended up happening was they lost their momentum and they lost it to a good team and they could never really get it back and and that is the most that's the scariest and most frustrating thing that can happen to a team and that's exactly and and then you then you start playing tight which is exactly what happened in the fourth quarter that's why we fumbled the ball because we're playing, we're trying so hard to, to do this. I mean, that's that's how it, it happened, Brian. You hit the nail on the head. Once they scored that sequence, once they scored the touchdown and got within seven, everything changed because now you're playing tight.
1: But to our credit, we take the ball and we go seven, seven plays, 73 yards. We cap it off uh with two on a two, two minute 36 second drive. We hit dikes again across the middle on a great route to get down there uh, to the UTSA one, and we punch it in from the one. So now you're at 28-14, and you feel like if Memphis can get one stop, like just one stop before we hit the four, you know, or going into the fourth quarter, if we can get one stop, we'll be in good shape. But we don't get it. They come down. They do a nine-place, 75-yard drive, capped off by a pass from Harris to Franklin, and at 1335 of the fourth quarter, it's now a 28 21 game. So then Memphis goes out on their next drive. And here here's where any inkling that I thought Memphis would win, here's where it all went away. Memphis gets the ball at 1335. They gain eight yards on first down. They give it a, on a little end around to Gabe Rogers. They get four more yards. Uh, Seth runs out to the Memphis 41 for a four-yard scramble where he should have been sacked for a 10, 15-yard loss, but Memphis gets called for an illegal hands-of-the-face, which now makes it first and 25. Seth then tries to complete a pass to Calvin Austin that goes incomplete, gets broken up by Jamal Ligon. Austin Myers gets hurt, has to be helped off the field. The very next play, Seth gets sacked for a loss of seven. Seth fumbles, Dantzler recovers it, for UTSA, and Brian, that was the point where I was like, Memphis is not winning this football game.
3: Yeah, because, I mean, at that point, the body language definitely shifted. And, I mean, it's hard to, you know, stay positive when your body language is, is that down. I mean, Memphis looked like they were defeated, even though it would, the game wasn't over. And that's, I mean, that, that's hard to do, but that's where the, the senior leadership, uh, you know, and the coaches – you know, need to, you know, step in and and say, hey, you know, this ain't over. But even at that point, I just still think they're, you know, some of the play calling and I've harped on this for the past two weeks. Where's the screen pass? I mean, I just want to see more screens to the running backs. I mean, they're, they're doing, They, they, they they actually
2: ran one. They actually ran
3: one that would have been a touchdown.
2: If the, I think it was the second half, it was a screen pass to, um, Austin and there was one dude one dude for UTsa and we had two guys out there blocking and he split them and and hit and and, and uh, tackled Austin if he doesn't make that play dude it was me my wife and a couple of tiger fans would have been escorting him down the field because there was nobody else there um and, and that's why I think this game was just a weird confluence of a whole lot of just the perfect storm of bad things that happened. And um now look, I could be wrong. I'm like, you know, we'll see this week. But uh I really think that that it was so weird, guys. The the vibe in the stadium was weird all day. John even mentioned it. Yeah, it felt like the there was
1: there was no energy. And it was and, weird. Yeah, it was a very strange feeling. So UTSA takes that fumble. They go in, touchdown. So Memphis gets the ball back with 10 30 left and now we're tied at 28. So Brandon Thomas rushes for five, two, three. We complete a big pass to Calvin. Get down the twenty-five yard line, and then Brandon Thomas fumbles, and UTSA recovers. So now UTSA gets the ball at the eight-minute eleven, or at the eight-eight-minute um, eleven-second. They get the ball. They drive all the way out to the Memphis forty-five, and the Memphis defense comes up huge. There's no other way to say it. They stop them on fourth down. I ended up losing a couple yards, and so Memphis gets the ball back with 4.23 left, and I didn't really understand, and I feel like I've said this three or four times, although I get it why they had to punt, but I feel like if Memphis could have gotten seven yards on third down, seven, eight yards, now it's fourth and 11, which is a little more manageable than fourth and 19, but Memphis punts the football away. Mm And UTSA gets it with two minutes and 46 seconds. And, man, they part – well, now I'm not going to say what I want to say here. Um, they just came up and, guys, they just force-fed us. And you, when we punt the They football, wanted the
2: game. They wanted the game more than we did at this point. They, there's no other way to say it. They just outmanned us. I, I and, did. And, and look – To Give them credit, right? I mean, they're a good football team.
1: Absolutely. This wasn't like losing to Nichols. Like, there's no, you know, there's no honor in losing. But, you know, at least you lose to a good football team. But Memphis at that point had all three of their timeouts, which is a whole nother discussion to have. You know, on the previous drive, you go incomplete, incomplete. Hennigan made a great play with his legs, got a first down try to some kind of – I don't know what he was doing on the option play or if it even was an option. Uh, then that's when Memphis got called for holding. Uh, Gabriel got down to the two, but it had to come back, and it was a good call. It was – he he held. So now it's second 19, incomplete, incomplete punt. It, again, that's another one of those little sequences I don't understand – play calling there, not from Pat. You almost have to throw, but it was the type of passes we were trying to throw. Right, And, right. you know, to Brian's point, you know, where's the screen game, you know, they're in cover zero with occasional little cover two, but they're not in quarters. They're not in cover three. So the middle of the field ideally is open and Sean Dykes made a living uh, in LRB. That's not a exact quote, uh, please. This is a, um, This is just an example that he did not make a living, so don't go trying to unionize and tax him. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I had to get that in. Um, But we just kind of forgot who we were again. I keep coming back to this. You'll notice this is a recurring theme. Uh, Brandon Thomas last touched the ball at the 9.23 mark of the fourth quarter. Nine minutes and 23. This is—he's that dude, like. Oh yeah, you know.
3: And it, it seemed like, even though, because uh, I think at that point was the score tied.
1: Yeah, and we're twenty-eight like, apiece. Yeah.
3: Didn't it seem like maybe the Memphis coaching staff they were calling plays as if Memphis was down by a touchdown instead well, of it, tied,
2: it, 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 Brian? So, it, to me, it looked like, and I, I don't know how else to say this. I think Coach Johns was was still trying. So at this point in the game, you should know what's working and what's not working. I mean, you, you know, you guys know, like you script plays at the beginning of the game, right? Like you script like 12, 14 plays that you write. You know why you do that, right? Because you want to figure out what's going to work, right? That's why you do that. It's 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 not because you're you are you you're being lazy or anything. You're saying th- you're saying, um, I I, I I just I, – you're, you're trying to figure out, okay, I, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. Okay, that didn't work. But, but here we are in the fourth quarter, and Coach Johns is still trying to figure out what's going to work on their defense. Wait a minute. You, you, you've been calling plays the whole game. Like, you know what's working and what's not working at this point. If you don't, I don't know what to tell you. But like, clearly to me, he was calling plays like he didn't know where to go with the football and to me because you're to, to John's point you're you're on there what 30 38 yard line whatever you are 40 whatever you don't need a 20 yard play you don't even need you need a, you need an 11 yard play an 8 yard play all you're looking to do at that point if you can just get a first down okay if you can just get one first down and and get down to like 30 now you can run the football and now you, can, you can want to run clock, okay, run clock, fine, run clock, kick your field goal. But, but guys, he, he called plays like he didn't know what, what to do, how, what was working, and it was frustrating as a fan. I mean, you guys know what I've always told you. By the end of the game, you better know what defense to run on third and eight and on third and three. You better know
3: and by that, the end of the game. That, I just checked the stats. Um, Sean Dykes didn't catch a ball in the fourth quarter either.
1: I don't even think he had a target.
3: Yeah, I don't even think he threw it to him. No, because uh, he had six, he targeted him six times and he had six catches, but that was all in the first, second, and third quarter. So, I mean, you have a, a tight end that's averaging twenty seven plus per catch, and you didn't even target him once in the fourth quarter. I mean, it's it's, it's it was really frustrating to watch.
1: And, and I do want to correct myself. Brandon Thomas's last carry was actually his fumble at the eight eleven mark of the fourth quarter. But you know, Brian, to your point. You know, he he tried to get Seth on that next last drive, try or that last drive, tried to go twice to Calvin back to back, and then he got the first down. And then he went to Gabe and and there was the holding penalty. And that was, you know, could have gone either way. But then he tried to pass to to Kobe (laughs) to Drake for some reason, to Kobe Drake twice, two times, and no Sean Dykes, no Calvin Austin again, no Gabe Rogers, no Javon. Did he even target Ivory at all during the game? Maybe once. I don't. I know Ivory didn't have a catch because we only had three guys to catch the ball. Calvin, Sean, and Brandon had a couple catches out of the backfield. So, you know, yes, you have to look for other guys, but there's a reason uh, Linus has a blanket. Here's your peanuts reference for the night. Linus has that blanket because he knows how that blanket makes him feel. And every quarterback needs a blanket. And Calvin Austin is that blanket. But if they take Calvin away, somebody else has to step up and go, I'm that dude. Like, this is me. You know, like, come if, if Calvin's covered, I get it. He's your guy. But come, to, but to not even look at Sean Dykes, especially on that last drive, it was just maddening.
3: Yeah, and I, th- I think you can. You can get Sean Dykes open. I mean, he can get himself open, actually. I, I mean, but that's why I, I think another play you don't see very often is just the draw play when they're dropping back that far into coverage. Hit it with the old
2: draw play. We ran it one time, and and I think Brandon had like twelve yards. I mean, I could be wrong, but his I longest that run play. of the
1: day was on yeah. the draw play, twelve yards.
2: Yeah, I mean, so. Like here's the thing, and this is what, what we're getting into. Like sometimes coaches fall in love with a. a I, I remember this in college. Sometimes coaches will fall in love with their little their little niche things that they've come up with, and you as a player on defense, it makes it easier because you can kind of you can go, yeah, well, we're not really going to do that. Um, I mean, you you do, but you don't. But on offense is different. Like when you're calling formations and they're calling plays, it's harder, especially with the personnel package, it's harder for for Seth or anybody to 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 get out of that. So I think what you're seeing is our coaches have sort of fallen in love with this little personnel package. And that's why we're not seeing Javon and Gabe and these other guys. That's just a personal opinion, but I think that's what it is. It's 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 a player grouping situation, not necessarily a play. Does that make any sense?
1: So you're talking about the uh, single back, Sean on the right side in the slot, and three receivers basically. What's that? Is yes. that a, is that eleven personnel?
2: Falling in love with that with eleven personnel.
1: Yeah, right. And, and, it's called eleven
2: personnel. That's right. Third yeah, and you can thirty-one.
1: Right, you can't. <laughs> like you you have to mix it up some and we did a couple times Correct. with good success when we would we we got we gashed him a couple times when we would start with that personnel and then we'd come up under center with a single back and that was usually thomas or actually clark had a lot of success in that formation and we would gash him a little bit and then you wouldn't see it again for six series and I think you're right, but I, I still think, and I, again, I apologize for bringing up the name of Josh Pastner, but it just it feels like that. it's We don't know who we are. We know that we can rely on Calvin, and we found out, look, I told you in the preseason prognostications we did that this team offensively that Sean Dykes was going to take us as far as we go because he's a guy that's almost impossible to defend you can defend Calvin because you can bracket him, you can play zone, you can play over the top against him and take, you know, force him to the sidelines. He's much better in the middle of the field. But I thought several times too we did the thing that frustrates me more than anything in football, which is we would run to the short side constantly to the boundary. Why would you go? It's it's like these guys in basketball that run down the sideline on a fast break. Like get to the middle where you have more options. Why are you giving yourself another defender, which is what you do when you run boundary all the time. You're basically giving the other team a 12th man because I can't go as far. And I thought, I thought UTSA did a great job of that, especially on that last drive. I don't think they ran boundary one time. They ran field side every time. And cause they knew that they were spacing us enough that if they could get And again, this is good coaching they knew they didn't have to get 15 yards of carry. They only wanted five, right? Because they're trying to – they know that Memphis is not getting this ball back. They ran for 205 yards in the game. And it wasn't like, oh, they gashed us. Uh, their longest run was 22 yards. So this was a, a death by 1,000 paper cuts kind of running game. This was not Navy where the dive breaks a 60-yard and then you get the option pitch. They just flat-out, pardon my French, kicked our asses up front. Yep. And when you are only at 22 yards is your longest rush, you know, I mean, it's, what do you it, do? It was Well, and, and,
2: and, and I thought Mac did a lot of – tried a lot of different things to try to, try to get us off the field. We, we, we never could counter their too their, their tight set. It was really hard. Um, what he needed to do was bring another another lineman down. Actually, is what he needed. As um, but he that. did try a lot of different. Things. Yeah, yeah. What What he needed to go was, five, was a five down lineman set, five two, and well, but did. then
1: but then you leave guys on and on. I
2: know, I
1: know. But and I'd make him.
2: I'd make him do it. But I, well, I, I, It it it, be, it, be, it beats getting your ass kicked, you know, up front a whole game. I, I would, I would have at least uh, look. Here, here's what I'm trying to Please say. Try for a little I bit. I would have at least, yes, because and, and look, you never know. You guys remember in the Houston game when 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 uh, Norvell basically threw uh, 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 a our our uh, defensive lineman in the backfield to as a lead blocker, and and Houston never figured out how to stop it, so he just kept doing it. I mean, that's what you do. You just – all right, look. We know we're losing this way. Let's try this. It may not work, but at least let's try it. Um, I, th- I do also think that the game, the way the game played out, the coaches got progressively frustrated themselves. And, and because in the back of your mind, you're thinking, damn it. Why, how, how, did, what, how did we get here?
1: Nothing's working.
2: And, and, yeah. and then by the end of the game, right, nothing's working. Right, you're, you're in this crap storm that's going on around you, and you can't think straight. We've all been there. Well, that's what happens to coaches in the press box because you're just like, son of a –
3: you know, like that kind of a thing. Someone needs to be like, all right, what – instead of saying nothing's working, what has worked? You had that draw play that worked.
1: And that's what your head coach – But then defensively (laughs) – Supposed to do. But then defensively, you know, it's great for us to sit here and say, well, we need to bring a fourth lineman in or – That's my thought. Okay. We we need to, you know we need five down linemen or we need to bring you know Larry I think we texted why aren't we bringing the safeties up because they've shown no propensity to beat us down the field and then you do none of those things and what you do if I told you that one team had a had a on defense had a eighteen tackles sixteen tackles and thirteen tackles if I told you that one team had that. And the most tackles the other team had was six. The first number was Memphis's J.J. Russell, Zay Collins, and Rodney Owens. Those three guys played their asses off. And J.J., that's the best game he's ever played. Um, And he got the numbers to show for it. Uh, Xavier Collins had three and a half tackles for loss that gave up 15 yards. So we wasted a good effort by several guys defensively because we were – coaches usually fall in one of two camps. You know, I famously have coined the smartest guy in the room syndrome. The other camp they fall into is what Larry talked about earlier. I call it the beating your head against the brick wall syndrome. This is – we're a three, but it's really, really hard. It's much easier for a 4-3 coach – To say, you know what, we're gonna go four, two and we're gonna throw another safety back there. We're gonna go four, two, five, than it is for a three, four coach to go, okay, we're gonna bring, we're gonna become a four, four, three. Like it's so much easier for the four, three coach to do that than it, because three, four is a state of mind. Like we talk about it all the time. It's a, it's a philosophy, it's what you believe in. But at some point you have to go, okay they're not trying to big play us to death here. They are trying to get five, four and five yards every time they hand the ball off. And what you saw on that last drive, especially is Memphis is shelled up like they've been all year. And at six yards, the guys across the line of scrimmage by two or three yards before we have anybody close to him. And that's where the problem comes when you get blown off the ball in a three, four is if the backers are dropping back to zone cover and the, and the, The corners and safeties are pulling out. If you don't get pressure, if you don't get home with three, then you're done because, again, you give a guy like Sincere McCormick a five-yard head start. Well, he's going to fall forward and get four yards. And I just thought we did a very poor job of adjusting. I thought their
2: coaches did a great job of setting up an offense against our defense. We never adjusted against it. And 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 I'm just going to say that I think this was the first game we can look at. Well, the first game in a long time when we look at it and go, we really got out coached here. I don't know that I said he would do. He damn near passed for 400 yards. Which I looked at their defense. I was like, yep, he's probably going to throw for 400 yards. What I didn't know was what that we were going to end up um, not scoring when we got in the red zone. Because you what what if you really want to pin this loss on a couple of things, it was inability to score when we got, not necessarily in the red zone, but on their side of the ball, on their side of the field, and turnovers. That was what cost us this game. And? Um,
1: we could fuss about all we want, but – and what? Well, and the other thing, Brian, that I point to, we lost the time of possession again by 11 minutes.
2: Yeah, that's true.
1: You know, you, you you can't ask our defense. They ran 92 plays, and we ran 57 again.
3: Yeah, I know Memphis, you know, and Coach Johns, Coach Silverfield, they, they love saying, we want to play fast. You know, well, I want to be, you know, 200 pounds, but me eating cake all the time is not going to do it. I mean <laughs> – just because you want to do something d- doesn't mean that's what you are, you know? And, and to me, I, I think, you know, Memphis trying to play fast when they're not, I, 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 I don't want to say they're not capable of it because I know they're capable of it, but it just not, it's not working because you consistently have three and ounce or four and ounce or five and ounce. You can't have that. And, you know, given your defense, you know, not enough time to, to rest. You know, to me, it, it's, you know, I, I see a lot of play calling. I don't want to say mistakes, but just, just the, I question the pay, play calling and how fast they want to play. And to me, to me those two things, something's, I don't want to, necessarily want to say change it, but if you're going to play fast, there's got to be some different type of play calls that will, will target Sean Dykes more. Because, you know, like you said, John, to me, he is a valuable, valuable key to this offense. Yep. yep. And I think he's being underutilized so far this year. Well,
1: one One thing you you want to know the most maddening stat of the whole game? Memphis averaged 21.9 yards per completion, 21.9 and 2.4 yards per rush. Now I went to a Memphis City school, but looking at that math tells me I need to throw the damn ball a little bit more. And, and I, I need to get the ball in my playmaker's hands and not just rely on one or two slant passes. I need to figure out a way to get Calvin Austin and Sean Dykes open. And yeah, I need you need
2: to, to be creative. Yeah. And
1: I got to figure out how to get Gabe Rogers the ball in space. And, you know, we talked about coming into the season, all these weapons that we had and, you know, and I said after the first game, I'm not really sure that it matters who the quarterback is. You know, I, th- I think Seth has acquitted himself nicely. I-, I don't really have any qualms. He's had a couple turnovers, but he had been put put in a couple really bad spots. But when you're averaging over 21 yards of completion and your quarterback throws for 329 yards and only has one touchdown, that's a problem. And that becomes a play-calling problem because that means you're comfortable letting him throw the ball from basically your 20 to their 40. But after that, it's like, no, we got to run the ball. We we can't we can't trust but, it. You that's know? what I'm saying. Like you gotta score. When
2: you get when you when you get down into the inside the so forget, forget the 20 yard line. Forget the red zone. Here's the reality. When you get the ball on the opponent's 40 yard line, you gotta get points eight 70, 80% of the time. Period. End of story. Like I don't care whether you kick a field goal or score a touchdown. I prefer a touchdown, but but you got to get points. Way too many times this year and especially Saturday, we got the ball on their side of the 50 and we came away with nothing. And you can't do that. You have to get points. When you get the ball on especially when you get inside the 40. That's that's a there's a stat out there that says that it, you know, I think teams score like 60 or 70% of the time. And I think we scored like, like, a, in the second half. I think we went like over or one for whatever. And and it's, it's, it's now look. Here's I do want to caution Tiger fans: don't overanalyze a three point loss in September. Okay, let's don't say that Coach Johns can't coach and and Coach Silverfield sucks. I I do want to caution you on that. We we're, we're being a little bit reactionary. Um, we're going to find out a whole lot. In fact, we're going to talk about this game coming up here in just a few minutes, but, um, but do, do just, just remember it's a frustrating loss. We're all still frustrated about it, but it's September and come November, if the season goes well, we will never even think about it.
3: The playbook Uh, I want is, I don't If you remember the old Maryville high school coach, George Quarles, that guy, play calls better than any coach I think I've ever seen. He, he won what, like nine state championships. It's like unbelievable. And, and, you know, when I talked to him years ago, you know, why, you know, and a lot of people like, why, why doesn't Merrill play, you know, other big schools on ESPN and stuff like that. He would come out and tell you, he goes, how many five and four star guys are on those teams? He's like, look at my team. He's like, we barely have one, three star. Uh, to me that's like he does more with less and his trick play calling was always on point i mean when you watch the state championship games especially the one against the white i mean he would just just weird times that he would come out with the trick play and it seems like they always work but that's that's the type of play calling that i think memphis has the the you know personnel for somehow if you can get his playbook man i think memphis would be dangerous
1: you know, you know, Larry, you were talking about that, and, and I've just started kind of playing with these advanced stats, but but they tell a story. Uh, there's an advanced stat called scoring opportunities and PPO, points per opportunity. And Basically, a scoring opportunity is considered when you get the ball past the opponent's 40-yard line. That, right. That's considered a scoring opportunity. Memphis has 3.8 points per opportunity with that. We're just going to arbitrarily – I'm going to go to our friends down in Orlando – although they've struggled this year offensively, they have 5.3 points per opportunity. Cincinnati, 5.3 points per opportunity. We talked about how much Temple struggles on offense. Wait for it to pull up. They actually have 3.9 points per opportunity. So that, that's, what it, that's what you were talking about there when you look at it and you go, okay, why does our play calling, why do we not dance with the girl we brought at the, four, at the 37 yard line versus what we did at our own 28. Why can we not dance with the same girl? So so coaches, th- there's there's a big
2: thought thinking thought about offensive coaches, especially when, when as the field shrinks, the windows for passing does shrink some. And, and so coach some coaches, Get nervous about quarterbacks trying to throw and they're like, oh man, I don't want to turn it over. Um, and and so what you'll see is they get tight down there. Once again, this is where you got to be creative. You gotta say, okay, let, you gotta have a package for like those
0: scoring opportunities.
2: And what are you gonna do? Look at their defense. What do they like to do in those scoring opportunities? Where are you gonna um where does their defense like to line up? All right, so let's try this play when we're in, when you're down there, or let's try to get, um, you know, our running back in, in space, um, stuff like that. That's what you got to do when you get inside the 40, because it does tighten up. It really doesn't tighten up till you get down to like the 15 yard line, but it does tighten up some. And so I don't know, John, I don't know what the answer is. The answer to your question is you dance with what brought you. If you got down there by passing the football, You pass the football.
1: It's just that freaking simple. It's what we talk about all the time. You just keep, you know, not to get too old here, but, you know, they once asked Barry Switzer why he ran the wishbone. He said, because nobody's ever shown anything. Stop it. And you know, you know, he didn't run the wishbone, you know, with with all this motion. Nope, we're going to go. He would walk. His quarterbacks would literally walk to the line of scrimmage and point left. And that meant wishbone left. And you just couldn't stop it. And that's kind of the mentality you have to develop as a play caller to go, okay, I don't need to be cute. I don't need to mix it up. If the passing game is working, throw the ball. If the running game's working, run the ball. But it, it is, it's real easy for us to sit here not in the heat of the moment and we don't know what Seth's thinking, we don't know how he's feeling. We don't know if, you know, he's not, but if he's a little banged up or we don't know if Brandon's a little hurt, like there's a lot of little things we don't know, but at some point we have to determine. And again, I keep coming back. We have to determine who we are and, and and what we're about and what the not legacy, that's a big word, you know, too grand of a word for this, but what is the story of this season? What is going to be the story of the 2021 Memphis football team? Is it going to be up and down, where this week the offense plays great and the defense plays terrible, now this week the defense is great and the offense is terrible, and then we just keep bouncing back and forth and we never put anything together. And and that, that is when having a guy like Mac on your staff becomes very, very valuable because he's the guy on staff. And there's a couple others. Jim Bridge is another one that can pull Ryan aside and say, hey, I went through this exact thing at San Jose State or or Colorado or or where Duke, like we went through this exact thing. Here's how we fixed it. But then Ryan has to be willing to acquiesce to that like Mike was and like Justin was with Daryl Dickey to be able to go, okay, maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. Maybe he's a former coach of the year. Maybe he knows what he's talking about. But then that coach has to be able to pick the spot and the way to approach it. Not, I know, and you don't, but more of Brian, here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm not seeing. Here's how I think, because even though he's a defensive coordinator, Brian, I mean, coach Mack can help in any capacity. And I think that is what is going to be critical going forward is Ryan's got to figure out who his count, his wise counsel is. And, everybody's a coach got to be able to swallow their ego a little bit and accept help.
3: No, I agree. I mean, they, you know, just like the players need to to come together and and figure something out. I mean, so those coaches and, you know, it's it's only going to get tougher from here. You you know, there's to me, even though I think, you know, Memphis will win this Saturday, you know, I, I, each game is a conference game now. I mean, now now you're playing for the marbles, you know, you, it's, you know, it's a good thing, in my opinion, that Memphis lost, you know, last week instead of this upcoming week. Yep. So, in that case, you know, at least you get this, you get punched in the face before conference play. So, you know, there's always a silver lining, and that may be just that silver lining that you lost before conference play. Now, you're, you're going into conference play, and you should be more focused than you probably would have been if, had you won.
1: And to not, you know, not belabor a basketball point here, but, but Cal used to talk, John used to talk about that all the time, about, you know, the non-conference sets you up for Camp Cal, which is where you really get better in between the non-conference and the conference schedule, so that when you get to the conference schedule, that's the least difficult thing you've seen since October, between practice and Camp Cal and non-conference wars. When we get to conference play, that's like the least difficult thing, you know, out of we played two really, really good, uh, defensive teams in Mississippi state and UTSA. We played two good teams. And like you said, that gets us ready, I think for conference play and, you know, we're, you know, Temple's numbers. We're going to talk about this in a minute, but Temple's numbers don't look great on paper, but that is a tough place for us to go and play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we um, you know, we, we struggle up there. I do want to talk one thing before we uh, go to our next segment here, there's been quite a bit of consternation. And I another thing where I see both sides of the coin here, um, we only had 29,000 people on Saturday. And, and and a couple people came at me with the reasonable line that 12 years ago, 30,000 for UTSA was a good crowd because that would have been a 19,000 Um and, and I counter with, that's true, but this ain't 2010 anymore. This isn't the Larry Porter years. This isn't the Rip Shear years. This isn't the end of the Tommy West era. This isn't Justin's first two years. We're at a critical juncture. And if we want to be considered, you know, we, we throw the ridiculous power six moniker around all the time we got to reach a point as a program where we show up for Memphis and not who Memphis is playing. And I wasn't, but, but I also take this approach to it. I was disappointed in the crowd size, but I was much more disappointed in the total lack of energy and total lack of respect that they showed for UTSA. And there were a couple of people that called out the crowd in a not, not so helpful manner. We'll just say what it is. It was not, you know, talking down to people. If there's anything we should have learned through this whole freaking COVID thing is that talking down to people never works and being condescending to people doesn't work. And the people that were that way know who they are and that's fine. That's been their MO forever and that's how they're going to be. So, but at some point the crowd has to get into it And not just on the last drive when they're driving down to score the field goal. There was no energy in that state. Look, I'll take it from the press box. There was no energy in the press box, not that there really should be, but there there just wasn't. Like, there was no excitement. There was no – we weren't looking forward to it. And I was really disappointed in – I mean, I was – I would like to think as a program we're better than a 30,000 number against UTSA, but if we're being real, uh, Tennessee and Florida were playing – which again, no excuse really, but but it just the perception is the reality. That is what it is. Um, you had several big games. You had Arkansas, Texas A&M, like, and Memphis just isn't there. I was much more disappointed, Brian, with the fact that the crowd was just no energy. Much more so than being. Dis- I mean, I was disappointed with thirty thousand, but just that that the thirty that was there didn't bring their full energy.
3: Twenty nine thousand. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I was, the reason, and and I got into it, you know, with a a lot of quit wits, you know, out there, you know, thinking that, you know, I'm talking down to the crowd. No, I I just pointed out a fact that, you know, if Memphis wants to be a big boy program, then you need to have big boy support. Yes, I know there was other games going on, but, you know, it was a great day out, beautiful day. You know, and I, to me, I think, um, you know, a crowd of 35,000, I don't think anybody would have said anything. You know, to me, that's, you know, it's, that was a respectable crowd if you had at least 35, but 29, that's where I'm just like, you know what? You know, and people will point out, well, Houston, you know, Houston got in and they don't have, you know, listen, Houston's what, the fourth biggest market or sixth or whatever they're 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 definitely top 10 biggest market. Memphis is not, you know, a, a big market compared to Houston but you need to have more than 29,000.
2: I, 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 Larry, just thought
1: Larry, that Larry, Larry talk about it. No, Larry doesn't want to talk about the, the <laughs> well, it,
2: it, it's not, it's not that it's, it, it, yes, that's true. I really don't. But, but, but here, here's, here's what I'm going to say. I, I think there was a lot of factors. I think, um, I think, the game the week before, not excuse, the week before was, was was considered a large game. And so there was a lot of people that, um, that went to that game and then they were like, well, I just went last week or whatever. I don't know. But I, I thought – I agree with John about one thing. The, the energy in the building was the problem. It, it wasn't the size of the crowd. It was that there were people um, – it was a, like, like you said, Brian, it was a, it was a sunny day. People, I saw a lot of people just lounging around. It was, it was like, a, don't be the, it's wrong, but it's like, if you ever go to a game in Miami, if you ever go to like a, a baseball game in Miami or a basketball game in Miami, like they're just there chilling. Like it was, it was almost like being in the, you know, in the bleachers of Cubs to, at Wrigley Field to see a Cubs game. Like you're not there to see the game. You're there to drink and, you know, have fun. I mean, and it was really weird, and that's the only way I can describe it. It's the least energy I have felt in that stadium in a long, 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 oh, great. long time.
3: And it, to me, the more uh, about the, the number, when you have your head coach out there tweeting, we need your support, when we and you, you have the players, we need your support, and when you have the president saying, we need you there, there's a reason why they're saying that. I mean, because, you know, quote-unquote, big 12 eyes are on you. And when you have the team, the president, the coaches saying, we need you there, and you don't show up, that says something.
1: Well, I, again, I mean, I, I, you know, we, we've done an entire podcast about realignment. I yeah. don't know that attendance really matters that much anymore because, let's face it, nobody's going to games anywhere. But I think it is more of, like for me, I'm a numbers guy. And you look at the Memphis metro area and there are roughly a million people. I know there's more than that, but roughly 30,000 people is a very small percentage of that market. And on a absolutely perfect weather day against a good opponent, look, this wasn't Nichols, like, right. This wasn't uh, Troy, like, this was a good opponent, and I apologize to all the fine people, of Troy, Alabama. Both of them. And, but, <laughs> both the nice people. And we got 29,000. And not only did we get 29,000, we had the most eh, crowd we've had in a long time. Um, well, I, was, I was much more disappointed, again, in the energy of the crowd versus the number Because look, the number is what the number is. You know, we're not going to magically become a program that draws forty-five thousand for uh, UTSA. And I said this back in the Big East days before I went to the Big East. Back when Rutgers was in the Big East, I said, you know, everybody thought this is going to fix our attendance woes. I said nobody's going to show up on a Thursday night to watch Memphis and Rutgers. Like it's not going to fix our attendance woes. Nobody's going to show up on a Thursday on a on a Saturday uh, at eleven a.m. to watch Memphis and pick whatever other than UCF, uh, USF, nobody's going to show up. So that's kind of who we are. But at least I've been able to say in the past, you know what, those 33,000 that were there, they were freaking loud and they made it tough to play. This crowd did not make it hard to play in the nope. ball. They just did. Nope. There was no energy. And I mean, you know, not to talk out of school, but like I even felt that among the three of us, like there was just no energy for this game. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I, no, I agree. It was like we just couldn't get started. It, it and was such the- a weird day for me. Like
2: my, you guys know, like my daughter schedules a freaking hair appointment on you know that morning, and and I was so ticked off. You guys have just have no idea. Um, I was just seething, and then and sober. then I was sober, which I did stay sober, um, which. It, it, it's not the first time i've watched a tiger game sober guys okay like I, I i do have to tell a story i saw a friend of mine at the game and um and i saw her after the game um and and she was she was she was actually asking she's like is this what you're like sober and i was like just christ like you never see anyway but, but so the point is like yes i, I did i did stay sober but but I, it, the game was just weird it was weird for me from the get-go, from the drop, and it felt weird in the stadium. It felt weird. The whole week felt weird, and um, all I can say is I think this was just an an odd bird game, Um, and and I I do believe that next week – we're going to talk about this in a minute – next week I think we'll be uh, a lot more focused.
1: I I, I just do. I I thought Mark Giannotto hit the nail on the head, and he put this in his column we were talking about this in the press box – when Memphis played Mississippi State, I feel like the lesser talented team won in that game. Memphis won that game, and, and again, this is not a slight to UTSA; they're a fantastic football team. I feel like this week it kind of got turned on us, and and the less talented team won this week. And, and guys, that that's football. I mean that that yeah. that happens. And, and I remind people all the time when they so and so sucks, and why can't we do? That other play that other team's got good players too. Like they got good players. And, and we're not Alabama. Let's let's stay for you, what it is. Like, and do you yeah. know what good players do? They make plays. Like it happens. Since and they got good coaches too. Like they, they got, got good, good coaches. Yeah. They've if got they a good money. Right. Yep. They've got good coaching staff, good players. But guess what? Both teams do. Like, both teams have good players, but I just think – I think Mark was on to something there. I think the lesser talented team – and, look, Mississippi State's not going to be very good this year. But I still think when you put numbers on paper, Mississippi State's a more talented team than Memphis from 1 to 105. Now, we can argue and have a whole podcast about the first 22, but I think once you get past that is where the difference shows up. Um, And I just think this week the opposite happened. Like we were just on the wrong end. It just got flipped. Yep. It just got the script got flipped. And now the key is going into Temple next week. And how do we handle ourselves there? And speaking of that, when we come back, we will have Sam Cohn from the Philadelphia Inquirer and altscoop.com to talk about Temple as we get ready for Saturday's game. Coming up here during the break, we'll have the uh, memphisweather.net
4: first forecast and much more. Stick around. You're listening to Tigers tonight. It appears the Tigers will get better weather on the road than they would if they were at home this weekend. This is your MemphisWeather.net Tigers Tonight first forecast. As the Memphis football team heads up to the northeast and takes on the Temple Owls in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on Saturday. Kickoff is at noon and we will see sunny skies across the Philadelphia region as high pressure is in control. Uh, Morning temperatures will be in the 50s. They'll rise to about 69 by the kickoff at uh, noon eastern time. And then peak in the late afternoon around 74.00 west winds at five to ten miles an hour for those of you uh, at home it looks like we're going to have a 60 percent chance of rain on saturday showers around the area and temperatures primarily in the 70s as that humid weather sticks around into early this weekend memphisweather.net is your number one independent source of no hype weather information for the memphis metro for routine updates during good weather and wall-to-wall coverage when the skies darken and storms approach download our mobile app or follow us on twitter We are Memphis Weather One. I'm U of M alum and meteorologist Eric Proceus. Go Tigers!
1: Hey everybody, John here and while Memphis Tigers football is of course one of my passions, happy to host Tigers tonight. I do have a second passion and that is travel. I'm a full service travel agent and I love to help families make their next great memory through an unforgettable vacation. Maybe that's a Caribbean cruise, maybe it's a cruise somewhere like Antarctica, maybe it's a Idea of a great vacation is just laying by a beach at an all inclusive resort, or maybe you've been dreaming of that trip to Disney. I'm here to help you make those dreams come true no matter what type of vacation you're looking for. Hey, for Tigers Tonight listeners, I've got a special deal. If you book a vacation with me anytime during the Memphis football season, I'll give you 25 bucks off your vacation just for mentioning you heard about me on Tigers Tonight. In addition, I'll waive my normal planning fee of 50 bucks. That's just for our listeners here on Tigers Tonight. So just shoot me an email over at john at travelbyjohn.net and we'll get the planning process started. Again, that's john at travelbyjohn.net. And welcome back everyone to Tigers Tonight. John Maddox along with the best co co hosts in all the land, Larry Marley and Brian Moss. We're joined now by Sam Cohn, who... Covers Temple Athletics for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Uh, Sam, thanks for joining us this evening.
0: Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks so much, thanks so much for having me, guys. So uh, it's been a bit of a struggle this
1: year for Temple. Uh, just looking, especially running the football has been a challenge, and that's something we're not really used to. We're used to going to Temple and it just being a tough physical game. So talk a little bit about the Temple offense and some of the struggles they've had, especially running the football.
0: Yeah, so Temple's offense has probably been uh, its biggest struggle through the first four games. I mean, he, just to make a quick note about the defense, like through four games, you've seen a little bit of a steady improvement. But the offense has fluctuated a little bit more, uh, in part due to the injury of starting quarterback DeJuan Mathis, who got hurt in the opening day, on opening day against Rutgers, then missed the next two games, and then came back and started uh, and looked pretty solid in their win over Wagner, who is objectively just not a, good, not a very good football team. Um, but it was a chance for him to see the field, see some reps before getting into conference play against Memphis. In terms of where they've really struggled the most, uh, it's a lot of con- continuity issues. Uh, it's this kind of running back by committee approach where they don't really have anything nailed down of, you know, this is our lead guy and kind of this is where we go from there. It's, um, it's, they've had a, a, a mix and match of Edward Sadie taking the, uh, the majority of the carries, Kyle Dobbins taking the majority of the carries, Tavon Ruley getting good reps. Trey Blair, who moved to the position this past offseason, getting a good number of carries before he got hurt. So it's really been kind of this mixed bag in the backfield. Um, And then their two best receivers, Jaden Blue and Randall Jones, both missed last week uh, in the win against Wagner. So it's it's been a struggle of keeping eyes on the field and keeping really any consistency, because obviously the quarterback being the most important position, building that rapport in the first four games we're getting in a conference play is really important. So when you're playing. Uh, you know, your incoming transfer, who was the starter, and then you're swapping to a, an 18-year-old kid who's a true freshman uh, who's earned the spot, but he's an 18-year-old kid. He's, gonna be, he's, pro, he's prone to mistakes He's a true freshman. Um, that's really where a lot of their issues lie. That, along with the offensive line, has been pretty up and down. It's kind of a, a holistic picture.
2: So tell us about – so Rod Carey took over uh, prior to the 2019 season. And last year actually we talked about the odd, you know, situation where um, you lose your coach to Georgia Tech and then DS comes in and then he leaves and then Carey ends up. Um, so Rod has been there. He's entering season three. First season ties the record for the most wins. Last year was a struggle. This year a mixed bag. What's the feeling about Rod – in philadelphia right now who is, the fans are not exactly known for patience
0: i mean the feeling on rod it depends who you ask if you ask fans as you said they're not known for patience so this feels like the inflection point of his career as a temple head coach uh, i think it's either a five or a six-year deal he's on um year one obviously if you're a temple fan that was encouraging that it, things were moving in the right direction with the strut with After dealing with having a a head coach that I think Temple was really excited about for 18 days, and then he had to leave, and they kind of have to scramble, and they bring in Rod Carey. If you're a Temple fan, you're excited about uh, that first season. Eight wins in a bowl game, even though they got decimated in the bowl game, they're still getting there. Second year, it's really hard to pass any judgment on him, on the team, on anything. Just because Temple was hit so hard by COVID, Being in Philadelphia, there are a lot more restrictions than a number of other teams in the American Athletic Conference, so that was just another layer of something they had to deal with. Um, They had a handful of opt-outs, they had had a plethora of injuries, they ended up by the end of the season, as you guys may know, starting a six-string quarterback and then bringing in a wide receiver at quarterback, so injuries really hurt them, COVID protocol really hurt them last year. Year three is really that point in his career, where in Rod Carey's head coaching career with Temple, where things either move in the right direction or they don't. Um, if things say, stay stagnant, uh, I think the the big question is what defines a successful career under – excuse me, a successful season under Rod Carey? Is that four wins? Is that five wins? Is that six wins? If you ask me, I think if he gets to that four or five win benchmark, it's at least a step in the right direction. I think there's – Akron and Wagner are um, – as my colleague at Owl Scoop, at Rivals Owl Scoop, likes to call them, cupcake games. They're games that Temple should be winning. They're on their schedule because Temple's going. Uh, Temple needs that competition. They need those games, and they should come out with those wins. It's games like Rutgers and Boston College where they should be competitive in. Um, again, they've dealt with issues. They've dealt with injuries. They've dealt with um, you know a handful of things, and it is the beginning of the season. It was a long season ahead, but I, I think that for Rod Carey's I don't want to say like his legacy for, for, I think for fans to be more confident in Rod Carey and the direction of the program, Temple needs a statement win. Um, It's something they did back in 2019. The Maryland win was a really huge win for them. Um, Temple's been known for having kind of like a statement win over the last couple of years, excluding last season, uh, that really defines kind of their season. And I think, you know, I, my, my guess is that if it's going to, it's got to happen at some point in conference play at this point, I, I, I thought that maybe Rutgers would be a little bit closer. Boston College could have been that game. Hasn't happened yet. Again, they've dealt with uh, the, the injury to Dewan Mathis wasn't uh, easy on them. But in terms of where Rod, Rod Carey is in his coaching career, I think it's I think important it's- for him to get that statement, Lynn.
3: Uh, for me, when I take a look at the offense, the number that sticks out to me is that um, you know, Temple is only 28% you know, converting third downs. What do you see as the problem with the, you know, with
0: the third down ratio there? I think uh, it's, it speaks to a larger issue of they're just having trouble driving the ball down the field. Um, they're, they're not able to convert and they've had a handful. They're like, their opposing teams are able to convert on third, fourth down and drive down the field. Whereas we talked about, you know, a couple minutes ago at the outset of the segment that it's a lot of continuity, continuity issues. And whether that's the inexperience of Justin Lynch in two and a half games or uh, special teams kind of putting them not in great field position, like uh, you know they're they're not returning punts and they're not returning kickoffs. They're not gonna get, they're not gonna get the ball in very great field position. If they're receiving a punt, they're letting it drop. They're starting with the ball within their own 10 yard line. Um, then they're uh, you know backed up close to their own end zone. So it's tough field position and it's a lot of just an inability to uh, to really just kind of make things happen. And I, I think when it comes to someone like Justin Lynch, it's the inexperience of if he's only if he's not really going through his entire progression or his entire checkdowns, he might just tuck it and run it. That makes it tougher for them to drive the ball down the field if the defense is really controlling the line of scrimmage or the opponent's front seven is really controlling the the pace of the game. Um, that and obviously we mentioned the injuries at receiver. Uh, I think I think Dejuan Mathis is more um, is better at that kind of thing. But it's uh, in terms of them not being able to convert on third down, it's it's definitely an issue of starting field position and then just an inability to really get anything going offensively. Um, Yeah, I guess that's the best way I can put it.
1: So as we move over to the other side of the ball, defensively, usually it's a marker when I look at a team and I see that their number two, one and two leading tacklers are safeties. But talk to me about William He He's kind of the guy, I think, that makes everything go from that linebacker position. Uh, Tell us what makes him so special uh, as he leads the team in sacks, leads the team in tackles for loss, and is sixth overall on the defense in tackles.
0: I think what makes him so special is he's both an extremely talented linebacker, but he's also the leader of this defense. He's a really important piece of this defense. And after losing a guy like Arnold Abiketti, who transferred to Penn State this past offseason, he really stepped into that role as both, you know, he's one of four single digits, one of two on the defensive side of the ball. Um, He's really a leader of that defense. He kind of controls everything that kind of goes on around him, and he's the one that is, you know, stepping up and making those plays. So at the three levels of the defense, he's the guy – in the middle that seems to control the pace. I think the other two I would mention um, are Manny Walker, defensive end, who's had two, inter- uh, two interceptions so far this season, and then Amir Tyler, the safety, who's also up there and tackles for, uh, for Temple's defense. Those are three guys, one at each level, that really kind of control the guy. Like I don't want to say control, but are, are really the, the leaders of that group. Uh, and William Quenku definitely has stood out and, and had a successful season so far. Mute yourself, Larry. Larry, you're muted.
2: <laughs> I, had a, I had a coughing fit earlier. I apologize. Um, you're good. So one of, the, one of, the, uh, one of the, the issues Memphis has had early on uh, has been in the kicking game. Talk to us a little bit about Temple's kicking game because a lot of times, especially the last couple of times we've come up to Temple, it has been a really close game. And, uh, by the way, Joey caught the ball. Uh, anyway, Um, but that is a lot of times, special teams and kicking in in particular has meant the difference. So talk to us a little bit about, about Temple
0: and, uh, their, uh, their special teams. Temple special teams. I think I mentioned this before has really been their biggest area of struggle over the last couple games. And really during Rod Carey's tenure, uh, over the last two years, it's something that I can say confidently. They have not put a lot of resources into, um, I, we've talked about on our podcast that Brett Deer. We've mentioned a couple times that their special teams coordinator, Brett Dearson said back in the spring something to the thought of uh, he wants to kind of simplify special teams, make it fun for these guys, with the understanding that they play other positions and they're focused on other positions, which is basically a complete 180 from Ed Foley's, uh, the you know the former special teams Temple's former special teams coordinator, uh, his mindset about special teams. So they've really pivoted and. Temple's not returning the ball. Again, they're, they're letting it bounce or they're fair catching it. And it hasn't really been an area of strength for them. Um, I will say that their punter, Adam Barry, was, and I think he'll tell you this, not good two years, two seasons ago. He completely turned that around last year, had a really good season and has continued in that direction and that, in that progression this year. So in terms of punting the ball, he's been a really strong uh, point of that entire team and Rory Bell their uh their young kicker said last year i think his his career mark was like 33 yards out he nailed and then he had talked about in fall camp that he had really worked hard on you know strength accuracy he said he knocked down a he connected on a 50 yarder in practice and then this past weekend it was like 45 47 yards so he really proved that he's got the leg for it so I would say they're they're kicking their um, their field goal game moving in the right direction. Their special teams consistent with what it was last year in terms of it's solid, but special teams on kickoff coverage on punt return it is definitely the uh, the third best of the three units.
3: With the conference realignment talk, how you know what's the feel from Temple fans? You know who would they like to see? You know I know Memphis fans would you know jump at the chance at the Big Twelve. But you know, what's the sense that you get from the Temple fans, and you know, who do you think that the Americans should add?
0: It's hard to really gauge uh, what fans think about, like who, what, why, and the position, other than the fact that uh, there's this there's this general narrative of Temple fans feeling like they're being left out uh, of the entire conversation. My assumption, or my guess, or just from what I've heard, I think the Athletic reported that. Colorado State, uh, Navy, both potential suitors to join the American handful of other. I think Boise State might be out of the conversation, but was at one point in the conversation. I don't want to speak too much on it because I don't have all the answers. Um, But I would say as of right now, it seems like a Temple fans might feel left out of the conversation in terms of they're not on their way out. So what happens with who's coming in? What's does the future of the American look like? There's there's a lot of crossing paths and ideas of kind of what the future of Temple Athletics look like. But at the end of the day, Temple doesn't have an athletic director as of September 29th. And we're recording this. They have a former basketball coach and they're in the process of hiring an athletic director. And I've heard that decision you know, will be coming at some point this month, sometime in the or excuse me, next month, October, sometime in the coming weeks. That could be a decision that happens relatively soon. But it's, it's hard for them to make any decisions without an athletic director. And it's hard for fans to feel confident in a decision being made without an athletic director.
1: Well, Sam, thanks for joining us tonight. One more question before we let you go. What do you think happens on Saturday at Lincoln Financial?
0: I mentioned before Temple needs a statement game. If Rod Carey's career or Rod Carey, the, the narrative of Rod Carey as a head coach moves in the right direction. I think if there is one, it's Saturday hosting Memphis. Temple generally plays better at home. Dewan Mathis now playing and now having the Wagner game under his belt. Um, if he's healthy, if Randall Jones is able to play, if he's healthy, if Jaden Blue, you know, those are their top two receivers. If both of those guys play, I think that works in Temple's favor. If I'm a betting man, which I'm not betting this game, I'm not touching with a ten foot pole. But if I'm making any kind of prediction, um, I would say Memphis probably wins. But I think it's a competitive football game. I think it's a four quarter game. But I would, my inclination would be that Memphis comes out on top.
1: So tell folks how they can keep up with you over at AlScoop Scoop and on social media.
0: Oh, yeah, that would be great. So uh, my Twitter is Sam D. Cohn. That's C-O-H-N. Um, yeah, so I, I cover Temple Athletics for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And then I, I also work for Owl Scoop, which is the Rivals-affiliated site of Temple. Uh, much more involved in their in our podcast at Owl Scoop. I don't do as much writing for them just because I've done a lot more writing for the Inquirer. So yeah, follow me on Twitter. You can. Um, I would encourage you to subscribe to the Philadelphia Inquirer because that's read my work. I'm just going to plug, <laughs> plug my outlet. So su- subscribe to both Alice scoop and the Philadelphia Inquirer, and you can follow along with our, uh, our game day coverage.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for joining us tonight, Sam. That's Sam cone from the Philadelphia Inquirer and AlScoop.com. We're going to let Sam go here. And uh, so guys, as we move ahead to temple now, we've got uh, coming up on Saturday, 11 a.m. Start. Um Larry, we'll start with you. What is this Memphis team? How do they respond to last Saturday's big loss?
0: Ooh. Ooh. Ooh.
1: Well, you know, th- this was one of my three key
2: games of the year when I wrote earlier in the year that uh, I-, I thought that, obviously, Arkansas State being uh, number one, and this was uh, number three of my three key games. And and not because um, I think that Tim. Um, some a world beater, but it's more that we don't play well up there, and it's the first conference game you want to get this month started right. So, um, yeah, last week was tough. Now, from a player standpoint, you know, like kind of like we already talked about, that was kind of an, an, an odd bird game to start with. Um, and and you sort of let your foot off the gas, and, and that's fine. Uh, it's not fine, but it, it, it's something that you'll learn from. I don't think there's going to be a lot of carryover to this week. I think the Tigers are going to come in ready to play, and I think um, they will they will perform really well Saturday. I would be surprised if they don't um, – I, I, again, we talked earlier, I would like to see some more diversity in the offense. Um, we were relying way too heavily on a couple of guys. But um, I, I do think Memphis will come out on top on Saturday. Uh, it's an early game which Memphis plays well at 11. So I just don't see a lot of carryover. I got Memphis winning this game. Um, I think I think by 13 points, I've got it 43 to, well, maybe 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 38, 25,
1: 24, something like that. So, Brian, uh, you know, I, I am concerned about carryover just because of not so much that we lost UTSA because that's a, that's a good football team we lost to on Saturday. My bigger concern is how we lost the game. And, you know, one of the marks of the Josh Passner era in basketball, not to bring up a sore subject here, was that we never identified who we were we were not a pressing team. We were not a defensive team. We were not a shooting team. And I kind of feel like the football team has an identity crisis right now of who are we, who are we going to be? So as you open conference play, is this the week where Memphis comes out and says, damn it, we're going to do this, whatever this is.
3: I believe so. And to me, there's an identity crisis only because, you know, Sam Hennigan is a true freshman. I mean, you're relying on a, on a true freshman to, you know, take care of a lot of things. You know, you know I'm concerned the way Memphis played in, the, you know, the second, third, and fourth quarter. Because, I mean, when you, when you take a look at the, the game tape, I mean, they just they came out on fire in that first quarter. It was it went, I mean, it, their best first quarter in quite some time. So, I mean, as good as they were in the first quarter, I mean, they were just super bad the rest of the way. And I don't want to see that type of drop off again. And I don't think you will. I, I really do think that though. there's like a renewed sense of urgency. OK, you, you the loss is out of the way. OK, you know, you got punched in the mouth. Now, you have my attention now. And I feel I think it was Sean Dykes that said, you know, after they got that big lead, they kind of they slacked off and they just couldn't get you know, back into rhythm or couldn't get really going again because the momentum, you know, was really gone at that point. So I don't think you, you'll, you'll see that. I think Memphis, you know, quite honestly, I think Memphis, you know, I don't want to say blows out Temple because I think Temple can make it competitive. I think it'll be competitive for the first half. But in the end, I really do see Memphis, you know, winning something like, you know, 48-24. Yeah, I think it's going to be 20-plus, you know, win game.
1: Well, I mean, I hear what y'all are saying. Like, like I totally get it, and I hear what you're saying. But again, my concern comes from how we lost last week. Not that we can not that we lost. I mean, you know, look, kudos, and we talked about this in the first half. Kudos, to Jeff Tra- Taylor for coming trailer and coming in here and having a g- great game plan and having the cojones to stick with that game plan when you're down 21. I guess I'm glad that we're not going to a place that how can I say this politely, like we don't have to worry about playing in Link- a, a, a crowded Lincoln financial field, like it's not going to be packed. So this is a good way maybe to get our feet wet. What I do worry about a little bit is Temple is extremely stingy uh, through the air. They're only giving up 108 yards per game. And that worries me a little bit with a young quarterback who's probably still a little rattled from last week because he had, you know, again, we talked about this in the beginning, but He had the big fumble that kind of kept the train going, the momentum going for UTSA. And I just, I worry about his mindset, but I also worry about coach Johns. Is he going to say, you know what, as some, as one of the other media members looked at me and said during the game last week, at some point, you just got to let the kid play and just say, you know what, whatever it is, it is. And we just got to let him play. And, I just don't know if this staff is willing to do that because that has pretty drastic consequences. If you say, you know what, let the kid play and he goes out and he throws three interceptions. Like what he can't do is what Brady, because see everybody focuses on Joey on our last trip up there and not catching that ball or whether he caught it in the fourth quarter, Brady threw three interceptions in the first half and fumbled like, that was the worst half of football a Memphis quarterback had had since 2014. Like, it could not have been any – he could have gotten both arms and both legs chopped off, and it would have been better than what happened. in that first That's the worst half of football he played at Memphis. You know, well, I mean, you know, when you look back, I mean, Rale- Raleigh had a bad half against Tulsa that kind of got him really jump-started because you and I both – we're ready to throw Riley off the top of the press box in that first half against Tulsa. Me, especially, and but that kind of got him going. So I'm just hopeful that what happened last week to Seth. I hope somebody you know sits down and goes, okay, yes you, yes you fumbled, yes they scored a touchdown, but that all started because of a, a hands to the face penalty that put us at first and 25, and now he doesn't have to go be a Texas State champion for Memphis to win football games. Not now. Now, in the future, yes. Right now, he just needs to be Seth, and he just needs to settle in, and we got to find an identity, guys. I mean, that's, that's the end game here is who is Memphis going to be? Are we going to be a team, Brian, that throws it all over the field, you know, short passing, get, hit Brandon Thomas in the middle, or are we going to line up, as we've seen several times, in single back formation, too tight, too wide, and run the football who are the Memphis Tigers and I think that's what we find out on Saturday
3: Well, and you're gonna you're gonna see that uh Memphis is going to be a running team um Rutgers against Temple had over 200 yards rushing Akron Akron now over 171 yards and Boston College had 179 yards so I mean you can run on this uh on this Temple defense and I I that's why I think it's it's not to me when I take a look at this game. That's why I think it's going to be a higher scoring game. You know, Memphis has shown you have the you have the running backs, you have the offensive line. Can they? I mean, you just have to play four quarters. I mean, they got. I mean, they you know at times against uh, UTSA they got stuffed, but you know, if you, when you take a look at, I really do think that the rush defense of UTSA is better than Temple. It's just I, I I really do think that Memphis is going to break out. It's going to be one of those breakout games. When you take a look at this series, no team has won two games in a row. So I mean, you historically, you know, looking at it, that kind of favors Temple. But I just look at this game and I see how much yardage they're giving up against the run, and and I see Memphis's you know rushing attack, and I'm just like, you know, I, I don't see a way they stop Brandon Thomas. I you know when I do my pregame Article prediction articles. I mean, you know, spoiler alert, I think Brandon Thomas is going to be the player of the game.
1: You know, and, and I've had to remind people both on the TSR boards and on Twitter and Facebook, you know, that are lamenting about our run game a little bit. Guys need to calm down. We have played the number 15 and number not up to number nine uh, rush defenses in the country.
3: And I just, like, I, I Overlooked Wagner. Wagner had over 100 yards rushing against Temple.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, and
3: definitely run against this team.
1: And, and Larry, if Memphis goes into Temple and we can't run the football, woo boy, as I like to say, what what does that say about who we are?
2: Well, it it, it it's certainly concerning because um, if you look at our our yards per rush they're not bad even against really good teams. So uh now last week uh I, I, like we talked about earlier the, the box was stacked. I mean Thomas is is trying to run. You should still have been able to run the football. But the box was pretty much stacked. I expect that this week too to be honest with you. I think Temple's going to stack the box and they're going to make Seth uh beat them. And and that and, and that's I fully anticipate that. So the answer to your question is even if they bring eight into the box, we need to be able to run the football and, and we need to find ways. This is where Kevin Johnson's got to be creative. Um, you've got to be able to make plays. This is one of the things that, and, and I don't want to get into this, that, that Mike Norvell was brilliant at was, okay, they're going to put eight men in the box. Well, we're going to throw a little out route to Antonio Gibson and let, get him in space or get, or get, get, um, you know Kenneth Gainwell coming across uh, in a um, sweep pattern. We've got to be creative. We can't. If you got eight men in the box, one thing you can't do is you can't bring in too tight and just run straight at them because that's three yards in a cloud of dust. Um, you got to be creative, but you can run the football. And that's what we need to see. We need to be able to – because you've got you've got athletic guys. You've got Rodriguez Clark. You've got Brandon Thomas. You can line them up at the backfield, and you can get them in space. And that's what the coaches are going to be stuck uh, – and honestly, guys, we're going to see seven and eight men in the box the rest of the year because people are going to say, we want the freshmen to beat us.
1: Yeah, and, you know, looking, you know, Memphis, you know, I had somebody – and I've had two people say this – well, Memphis needs to stop being stubborn and relying on the run. We're averaging five yards a carry, like 5.1. Brandon Thomas is averaging over seven. Dre Clark has committed three homicides, four homicides this year, and is averaging 8.24 yards a carry. He's literally killed a man nearly in every game. Uh, so, and we've He got, should have been arrested in UPSA <laughs> because
2: man. that was a flat. That would look. Well, that, that was second degree right there. That's, <laughs> that's not
1: even. <laughs> so we've got eight rushing touchdowns. So maybe we are a running team. But it's time for Memphis to stand up and say this is who we are. Um, I'll start tonight as, uh, let's see, so 11 a.m. So that'd be, what, 2.30, is that 2.35 p.m.? Uh, we'll look up at the Lincoln Financial Field scoreboard and it will say Memphis uh, 28, Temple 17. Larry.
2: Oh, I, I have it a, a much higher scoring game. I agree with Brian. This is going to be a higher scoring game. I think actually Memphis gets out to a fairly good sized lead, and Temple makes a little bit of a comeback. I've I've got Memphis somewhere around 38 24, or maybe maybe 41, 28, something in that range. It's it's gonna be a, a 13 14 point win. Um, I, I just think Memphis is way too strong up front on both sides of the ball. If we get our butts kicked on both sides of the ball again this week, guys, uh, get, then, then you can start ringing alarm bells.
3: Brian? Yeah, I agree. If Memphis – if this game is close, it, it should ring some alarm bells. But, you know, like I said before, I think Memphis comes out fast. Uh, you know, I think they they do get the job done uh, defensively. I see 48-24 Memphis. I really do think they come out and just, just hammer Temple. I mean, to me, it's, it, it's not a statement game, but in a, in a sense, it is because the way you lost against UTSA, I think they need to come out and for themselves, you know, to, I guess, prove to themselves that, you know, they're better than the last game. And, um, yeah, that's, that's why I see it's such a big margin.
1: And they need to not only punch Temple in the mouth but they need to figure out how to put their foot on Temple's throat if they jump up 21 nothing because that's kind of what we talked about that's what we talked about in the first half was Memphis jumped out to a huge lead had all the momentum and UTSA just kind of kept plugging and plugging and plugging and plugging and then we got tight and you know so the second half of that is yes they need to start strong and start fast But if we get the chance to finish Temple in that first half, we need to finish them. You know, it's that thing if we're up 21-7 and we get the ball back with three minutes to go in the second quarter, we got to go, and we've got to go down and find points. And just because the difference in being up 28-7 at the break versus being up 21-7, depending on the coin toss, is a whole different world because – you know, it's, it's a momentum thing. And momentum is usually not a big deal until later in the game and going into half. That's when you really find the momentum. So that's going to do it for this week. For the best co hosts in all the land, Larry Marley and Brian Moss, this is John Maddox signing off saying Go Tigers Go. We'll talk to everybody next week.
0: Opinions expressed on this program by our guests and hosts do not represent the opinion of their employers or the University of Memphis. This podcast is in no way endorsed or affiliated with the University of Memphis. Join us again next week for another edition of Tigers Tonight.